Peterson, yeah. Do you have to we be here every hour or just at the jump? You don't have to. You do have to do it at the jump. You got to do it at eleven. Now that we we play that song, I think coming into all three hours, I usually do. So I'm sitting in on Friday with with Stoke, and for four years I've always had the same line. Ah, we are here. I'm James Merrill from DenverSports.com, filling in for Zach. By Brandon Stokely is here on his normal perch. And he got upset with me last time. Why, for the word perch? He challenged me that I need some new material. You know, I think it's a tradition. So I'm going to break it out in segment one on Friday and see how he rolls with it. All right, Broncos and Rams joint practices have wrapped up down at the Centura Health Training Center. And a little bit of a straw poll just based on my Twitter feed, James. Every single person that was down there and watched practice has said that the Rams have won it that Alberto was somewhat the star of the day with his three touchdowns. But as Andrew Mason points out, the Rams definitely took the day overall because of ones versus ones. Not one-on-ones, one versus ones. Rams' first-team offense versus the Broncos' first-team defense. James, a lot of folks down there were disappointed. Very last uh, drive of practice, Rams absolutely marched on the Broncos in a two-minute drill, scored a touchdown, that's given us sort of flashbacks of what happened on Saturday in San Fran. I know the Niners didn't score the touchdown, but the marching down the field thing, that was not an issue at all. Yeah, and if you go back even to the first game against the Cardinals, a couple of third-down conversions on their opening drive. Broncos couldn't get Colt McCoy off the field as quickly as you would have liked to. Brock Purdy marches the Niners right down the field, and Jonathan Cooper gets a sack on kind of a broken play that uh, throws that drive off schedule and and holds the Niners to a field goal. But the Broncos' first-team defense has looked good in camp. One of of my least favorite phrases, because you will hear it, take the over, whatever the over-under is, take the over on Saturday night's broadcast on Channel 9. For a number of times you hear, he's looked good in camp, or he's had a good camp. It's like, what does that mean? Define for me. What that means, oh, he's had a good camp. They say it about anybody who shines during a preseason game. And I'm not picking on Ryan Harris and Steve Levy. It's been this way since my guy Ron Zapolo was mm. doing the games. Oh, he's had a good camp. Eh, yeah, okay. Well, it is funny because now that you bring that up, like Elijah Garcia has looked really good in both preseason games. I didn't really notice him in camp. No. So if you want to say he's had a good camp, it's like he actually didn't really pop at camp. Like I'm happy he's popping in the games. That's That's a good sign. I'd rather you pop in the games than camp, but I hadn't noticed him, and I was at you know ninety percent of the camp practices. If, if you right now, so you got to me, you got to call this before the game. If you started listing who's had a good camp based on practices, Jaleel McLaughlin, he's looked good every day. Taylor Grimes, Taylor Grimes. I think Montreal Washington at times has had had some moments. Justin uh, Simmons, obviously, he just hasn't been out there a ton defensively too. I think Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito have had have had a good camp. Yep. So if they do something on Saturday, you can say it. If it's, I don't know, pick a rando. Jonathan Harris. Right. If Jonathan Harris has a sack, oh, he's had a good camp. Really? Has he? 
find me that tweet where Jonathan Harris was just dominating the day. You you watch now how yeah. many times you hear it on Saturday. Yeah, He's will, had a good camp. I will have an ear for it. What do you make of these reports that the Broncos have lost this joint practice? How, how big a deal do you uh, make of that, particularly because the Rams – by most accounts are, you know, I think they could be a little better, but they're, by most accounts, a 6-7 win football team. Certainly not the Super Bowl team they were 18, 19 months ago. Was there a scoreboard? I don't believe so. Okay. Nothing that I've seen that said a scoreboard. That's but, why I'm but not James, I'm going off Mike Kliss and Andrew Mason and Troy Rank and James Palmer and all these people we know saying the Rams won the day. And I bet you all these people were standing next to each other for the entire two hours. Mm, here we go. And <laughs> you know, you're going to go on your group think ramp here? Yes. Right here? Right. Exactly. They all stand together and they all have the exact same assessment. Okay. All right. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to disrespect any of those folks. I just think they kind of see what they want to see. They all compare notes and they all come up with the same conclusion. Where's the person with the... Contrary opinion. Well, I'll be excited because we are going to have Cecil Lamley, Lammy in here at one thirty. Dmac will be in here at two as we pass it off to the drive. They were both there, and I haven't seen either of them tweet that the Rams won the practice. So I'll be excited to hear what Cecil and Dmac have to say. Maybe you'll get your contrarian opinion. Practice. I mean, look, it, it's if if that if it's like it was when the Niners were here, that's a red flag because the Niners. No dominated. one is saying that. I want to be clear. People are just saying the Rams were better, but it was not like the Niners. And that, to me, sounds like the Broncos were better last year than the Cowboys. They were, according to all the group thinkers. Well, the you Broncos were there. You were there. The day. We, we saw it with our own eyes last year. They were better than the Cowboys. Yeah, okay, maybe. Uh, sure. What was? Uh, it was the first day Russell Wilson and the offense did anything in camp. The first day they had any sort of highlights, right, which we should have taken as a huge red flag. And we didn't, but yeah, I guess they were better. But again, were they? Because the Cowboys had a good season, the Broncos were terrible. Yeah, but James, the only report we're getting from these joint practices of any sort of success from the first-team offense is one Russell Wilson to Kendall Hinton completion. We're not seeing anything about Jerry Judy in a two-hour joint practice. Anything about Corlin Sutton in a two-hour joint practice. That raises red flags to me, especially, yeah, we talked about it in the first hour. You and I think the games are more valuable, but there are so many NFL people who think these joint practices are just the best thing since sliced bread. And sliced bread today, Jerry Judy's not eating, Corlin Sutton's not eating. What if today was scripted to be pro-Rams and tomorrow was scripted to be pro-Broncos? Are you going Arian Foster on me? No, 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 no. But you like you know what the other team's going to do. Hey, this is what we're looking to work on. Let run this against this. We want to do. We want to do X. Like I mean, Peyton and McVeigh did say they had talked to each other. So I see where you're going. There's with some this. of that that goes on. Of like, you know, hey, the first team defense against the Rams first team offense in two minutes. All right, maybe the Broncos aren't blitzing like they would blitz in a game because that's not what Sean McVay wants his crew to work on in that situation. And today's the Rams' day to work on what they want to work on. Could right? be. Could be. Now, if they go out and dominate them again tomorrow, well, that theory goes up in smoke because it, there's no way it was a pro-Rams' day and a pro-Rams' day. And I don't know how much of that went on, but like that's my point of like nobody watching on the Hill knows that. And I'm not trying to go all Pat Shermer here of sometimes you're trying to throw in completions yeah. because we are smart enough to know what that drill was. But I just think there's some of that where you don't know the script, you don't know the plan for practice, and that can make things lean one way or the other. Still doesn't mean the Broncos couldn't have stopped them. 
It could have been, hey, go base in this. Well, you're going base. You could still make plays. But that's the part of it that always makes me kind of take these results with a grain of salt. Yeah, but again, we're not hearing about Judy and Sutton. We're hearing about Albert O. And good for Albert O. Where do you think, you know, three touchdowns in a joint practice? I understand he's still fifth on the depth chart with tight ends. He's behind Nate Atkins, an undrafted rookie, obviously behind Manhurt, Stolcich, and Troutman. But, man, that, that's got to get Sean Payton's attention. And we'll get to Sean Payton's presser in a little bit, and I guarantee he's going to be asked about Albert O. But between some blocking, which has been a rarity that we've seen in the preseason. He had a great block on the Jaleel McLaughlin touchdown. Three touchdowns today. I don't think we expected to be sitting here talking about Albert O being the star of this joint practice. But if he's your only good takeaway, then maybe that's the biggest thing that that a week from now when it's cut down day, we're going to say, ah, you know what we got out of those joint practices? Albert O made the team. If I'm making the choices, if I'm picking the 53, Alberto makes my roster, and I keep three tight ends, and it's it's Troutman and Dulcich and Alberto. And I, here's how I look at these: is are you Wait, ever, not keeping Manhurts? No, no. Ooh. Are you ever going to kick yourself for cutting Nate Atkins? Like I, I, I don't know enough about Nate Atkins, but he's going to go somewhere else and make you regret it. I don't think he's going to be Gronk or Travis Kelsey. Chris Manhurts is he going to go somewhere else? You're going to be like. That's the one that got away. No, but he is a very specific player, a run-blocking tight end, and this offense wants to run the football. I think that I think that's an overplayed narrative. First of all, um, that he's that this team wants to run the ball a bunch, and that they're going to be run dominant. If they run the ball more than forty percent of the time, I'll be surprised. And you know, Chris Manhurts. Okay, what's the road grading? run-blocking moment we all have from Chris Manhurts. Again, mm-hmm. this is groupthink. That's a hard thing to identify. We all I'm not watching the all-22 of the Jaguars last it's, year. It's it's Jano's a great special teams player. Well, if we, had, if we had 22 Janos, That's what this is. We'd like, be just fine. It becomes the narrative. NBA players are the greatest athletes in the world, and everybody has to repeat it, and no, nobody ever applies any critical thinking. Like Chris Manhurts is going to make this team. Why? Why? What does he do that's special? What has been his moment where it's like, man, they can't live without Chris Manhurts. Man, you may regret cutting him when he goes somewhere else and turns into a player. Do you think Alberto has a chance if they release him of going somewhere else and in the right situation become a guy they regret cutting? Yeah, he does. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not advocating to cut Alberto. I'm just I'm surprised you're cutting Chris Manhurts too. That's all I'm saying. I, I think there's a way you keep both. I think there's a scenario where you keep four tight ends. Maybe. I mean, going to be a run-heavy offense. You can't have too many tight ends. It's not going to be a run-heavy offense. Sean Payton has said they were going to be a run-heavy offense. Find me the offensive-minded head coach who wants to do a wants to operate a run-heavy offense. Arthur Smith in Atlanta, maybe. Yeah, the Falcons have been great shakes. That's working out wonderful. All right, man. I'm just telling you, he was the story of the day today. He had, I didn't get to see it with our own two eyes, but that's all any reporter who is out there can talk about. He turned Drew Brees into, by the time Brees retired, the greatest passer in the history of the NFL. But everybody here thinks he's going to all of a sudden, with Russell Wilson, his $50 million quarterback, he's just going to turn into ground chuck in Seattle in 1978. I'm just not buying it. I think he wants to win, and I think he knows that's his best path to win. Okay, who are his best players on offense? Uh, Javante Williams? No. 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 He's not. He's coming off of a torn torn up knee. He's not their best player on offense. Their best players on offense. Well, it's a it's a coin flip between Javante and Judy. It's not Corlin Sutton. 
He's at, he's had a good three weeks, James, but he hasn't been the same guy since 2020. So I got to see it in the regular season before. But you don't I say have he's to all the way back. But you don't have to see it from Javante Williams. Come on. Yeah, but Javante Williams hasn't had the three bad years that Sutton's had since he tore his ACL. Uh, right. He hasn't shown us anything. So they have a. He looked fine last week. They have a banged up running back who was a guy who split time before he got hurt. They have Because they had a weird obsession with fumbling Melvin Gordon. That was dumb, and that was on management for even re-signing Gordon in the first place. Okay, and it's also a guy that in college had to split time with Michael Carter, who's now, what, fourth on the depth chart with the Jets? Well, pretty sure they were doing a good job at Carolina of saving these guys and not going the Monte Ball 2,000 carries route or whatever it was. Okay, but he split time with Michael Carter, who's now behind Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook and... Pretty, All sorts pretty of good players last time I checked. Well, they for some reason they felt compelled to go out and get more running backs. Yeah, I would have liked the Broncos to go out and get Dalvin Cook. Last time I checked, he's a perennial pro bowler. Agreed. But if they were going to be a run-heavy offense, don't you think they would go out and try to have more than Javante Williams coming off of a, a completely destroyed knee, Joe Mixon's backup, and an undrafted guy? Well, Samaj P. Ryan has looked very good in camp in the preseason <laughs> as well. He has. And then your boy, Jaleel McLaughlin, looks awesome. There's one. Yes. The MyJP Ryan, he's looked good in camp. I watched that with my own two eyes. I've watched that with my own two eyes. So uh, on offense, I mean, if we want to count the offensive line in two, like five of their seven, seven best players are either running backs or O-linemen. So, yeah, that makes sense to be run heavy. Their best offensive players are Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy. Mm. Their next best offensive players are, Maybe pro- two years ago. are probably Cortland Sutton and Greg Dulcich. No way. Yeah. James, you just said Greg Dulcich is better than Javante Williams. That's insulting to Javante Williams. Javante Williams is coming off of a, an unbelievably bad knee injury. It was 10 months ago. And he's just fine. He didn't even start off PUP. <laughs> it's an Adrian Peterson-esque recovery. Okay. He's got right. Wolverine blood. I'll believe it when I see him. I'll believe it when he's I out mean, there I with mean, the big old knee brace on running for 1,000 yards. To call Greg Dulcich a better player than Javante Williams is very unfair to what Javante Williams has accomplished in a short time in this league versus hamstring guy who's played seven games. Hey, Greg Dulcich in those seven games was every bit as impressive as Javante Williams was as a rookie. The rook- the rookie year from Javante Williams... He led the NFL in broken tackles. Oh, well, geez. I mean, th- th- there's, a, there's a cast of... Give me the Mount Rushmore of guys who've led the league in broken tackles. Nobody can name them. How about the guys I'm who... sure it's some of the greatest running backs of all time. How about the guys who can avoid tackles? That would be sure that would be probably a better list. Like this rookie year of Javante Williams is one of the most overblown seasons. I mean, he, he wasn't Mike Anderson, he wasn't Clinton Portis, he wasn't Terrell Davis. Like, what are we talking about here? They're going to be run heavy. If they were going to be run heavy, Jonathan Taylor's available. Dalvin Cook is available. Well, he was was, but they could have gone and signed him. They could have until like a week ago, and he was a free agent. You don't even have to trade for him. Like, there's been a lot of really good running backs that are on the market or looking to get moved, if they were going to be run heavy, again, I don't think they're going to lean on a guy who's coming off of a major knee injury, Joe Mixon's backup from last year, and an undrafted rookie. I think calling Samaj P. Ryan Joe Mixon's backup is such an oversimplification. It's a statement of fact. Yeah, but he scored touchdowns in the last two AFC title games. He averaged something like seven yards a carry. Samaj P. Ryan's a number one back who was just stuck behind a top five runner in the NFL, so that's why he went and found a new home. How many teams in the NFL would Samaj P. Ryan start for? Hey, let's do this. Half. Let's do this. 
How many teams in the AFC West would he start for? Is he starting over Austin Eckler? No. Is he starting over Josh Jacobs? No. Well, Josh over- Jacobs, we don't know what his future is with the Raiders. Oh, I guarantee- there's another guy the Broncos could go get. Is he starting over Isaiah Pacheco? No. So he doesn't yes. start for any other team in the AFC West other than the Broncos, who are going to be run heavy. Pacheco's a product of playing in Patrick Mahomes' offense. Samaji People right. want to crown that kid, and he's a, he's a fine player. But any running back that plays in Patrick Mahomes' offense looks good. Samaje Pirine is a fine player as well. He's a pedestrian running back. But for whatever reason, because he's had a good camp, in this town everybody's acting like, hey, you know what? He's gonna be he's gonna be the second coming of T D. No, no one's I mean, saying come that. On. But I, I'm just saying between Javante, yeah. Samaje, and Jaleel. They have the weapons to be a run heavy offense, and that's why you need to keep a guy like Chris Manhurts because he's a tight end. He's a tight end who blocks. Do any of those three guys exceed 600 rushing yards this year? Uh, I'll go Shanahan's, yes. <laughs> Let me pay off one before we start doing it. No, I'll one. tag along tonight because I guarantee that's a winner. <laughs> yeah, I would expect Javante Williams right around 1,000 yards. A thou- okay, you want to go 1,000 on Javante? Right around 1,000. Well, how close? You quoted me the number first. I'll take your 600. Well, you're talking about all three of them like they're, you know, it's going to be impossible to take any of them off the field, so they're, they better go a third, a third, a they're, third. They're going to get close to 2,000 yards as a unit. They are. Javante's going to get about 1,000. Samaje's going to get about 600, and Jaleel's going to get about 400. And the best units in the NFL, their top two duos, they get around a, a 2,000 yards together. That's what they do. I, I just don't see that. I bet, Aaron, I bet Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were right around 2,000 yards last year. Yeah, and both of those backs are better than anybody on this roster. I bet Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard were right around 2,000 yeah, yards last year. Yeah, and both of those backs are better than anybody on this roster. Not Zeke. They could have had Zeke. Do you see the, there's, there's another guy that they could have Zeke? Had. He looks like he's had a few bites at Shanahan's recently. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's part of the issue. Tony, I, I, Tony, I think okay, it's, well, Tony Pollard is better than anybody on this roster. Uh, on offense, so he does. So Samaji P Ryan doesn't start in Dallas. I, I just, I, I think you are dismissing this because you are obsessed with this Russell Wilson bandwagon no. that you are driving, and you want everyone to jump on it, and you want to tell us all that you told us so when we just went through last segment talking about he doesn't have any wide receivers outside of Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. I don't think a guy who, when he was an offensive coordinator, turned Tony Romo in, from an undrafted free agent into a very, very good quarterback, a guy who turned Drew Brees into a cast-off from San Diego into a surefire Hall of Famer, is going to come in here and in his first year say, we're going to run the ball with Javante Williams, Samaje P. Ryan, and Jaleel McLaughlin. I just don't buy it. I, 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 don't think that that, I don't think that that adds up when he's got Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Greg Dulcich, Albert O. <laughs> who may not even make the team. Well, he, he should. All right, let me ask you this, though. How old were Tony Romo and Sean, or excuse me, and Drew Brees when Sean Payton worked his magic on them? Younger than Russell Wilson is now. Decade. A decade younger. Okay. That's another reason why he wants to go run heavy. He can read the room. He can see that Russ's age is catching up to him and that Russ, in the second half of his career, is going to have to do what a lot of quarterbacks have done. And that's swallow that they are not the same guy they used to be, but if they're willing to accept their role, they can still be very effective in this league. He looks like the same guy he used to be to me. He really does. In the in his five drives in the preseason, he looks like the same guy we saw in Seattle. He looks like the same guy we were all excited about on March 11th when the trade went down of 2022, and this is not a drill. He looks like that guy. 
He he does look better, but I also will remind you his first week of camp was historically awful. I mean, he was throwing picks every single day and didn't have a single touchdown. All right, balderdash meter. He had a historically awful first week of camp. It was <laughs> panic time. Anyone who watched that was panicking, James. Uh, we went okay. on Stoke uh, Exact. They practiced for two and a half hours, and he didn't throw one touchdown. Okay, hang on, hang on. So I just want to make sure. So in the, the historically awful first week of Broncos training camp, who did he supplant atop that list? Uh, I thought Drew Locke looked better. I thought Tra- I thought Paxton Lynch looked better in his moments oh in camp than Russell Wilson did that first week. So, again, he's had two good weeks, but I'm allowed to isolate he had one really bad week. Okay. All right. I, I just, again, I think this is groupthink because I don't think we knew what was going on and what the, where they were in the install process. Oh, so he was supposed to throw interception after interception after interception to Justin Simmons. We don't know where they were in the install process. I mean, that is full Pat Shermer. Maybe or that's, they were trying to throw in No, maybe that's, hey, Greg Dulcich is still learning where he's supposed to be. And, hey, Russ, throw the ball where the guy's supposed to be, mm. not where he is, because when we go into film study, I want to be able to make a point. We watched those with our own two eyes, James. That was Justin Simmons jumping routes because Russ was staring him down, and you and I both said, oh, that's what makes that guy such a good safety because he can anticipate where the football's going to go because Russ was telegraphing him. Okay, so he threw a couple interceptions to the best safety in the league. And he didn't throw any touchdowns. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, he, like we we had to go two hours and 15 minutes of practice and get accused of being negative because well, we couldn't find one touchdown. We'll go down there and watch practice. He throws 12 meaningful passes in an entire practice. Like, oh, he didn't throw any touchdowns. Like, well, they didn't have any opportunities to. Like, the practices, sorry, they're kind of a joke. Like, really, he'll throw 12 meaningful passes in an entire practice. Okay. I mean, unless we want to count when he's over there throwing it into the net. He's pretty good at that. He's better than the other two guys at that. But I just think we're I think we're overstating that. And I think if I'm if I'm Sean Payton and I'm coming in here and I want my offense to be good, am I gonna bet on Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy? Or am I gonna bet on Javante Williams, Samaji P. Ryan, and Jaleel McLaughlin? And Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers and Lloyd Cushenbury and Garrett Bowles and Chris Manhurts. Chris Manhurts makes that group. I mean, that's what he was literally signed here to do. Be a run-blocking tight end. Okay. So, if you'd have made a list a year ago of the best run-blocking tight ends in the league, would Chris Manhurst have made anybody's list? Again, it's not something I study, but I trust the Broncos. If they're going to pay him this much money and poach him, what, the first 72 hours of free agency that they wanted this guy? I trust what I see, and I haven't seen anything from him. And he's been banged up, and he just came back. So, I would imagine then... I mean, geez, he was back today. I don't know how they had a bad practice with Chris Manhurts back on the field. But I would imagine on Saturday we're going to see a lot of Chris Manhurts just pancaking guys and this Broncos offense just running the ball right down the field. I'm just – I'm not buying it. I don't think they're going to be a, a run-heavy team. I think they're going to throw the ball 60% of the time at least, and they're going to rely on their best offensive players. We'll have to see how that shakes out. I mean, listen, it was a spirited and fun debate – Based on the fact that we started talking about could Albert O have made the team, made the Broncos today with his three touchdowns and these joint practices. But again, I will remind you that in two hours of live tweets in a joint practice with the Rams, Russell Wilson had one completion that was any sort of noteworthy to any of the reporters, and it was to Kendall Hinton. So that's another tough day for us at camp today, sort of like week one. Okay. All right. So was it a historically bad day? Of joint practice football for the Broncos? 
I never said a historically bad day. I said he had a historically bad first week because I watched him throw pick after pick after pick after pick and couldn't find the end zone. And again, Paxton Lynch had better training camp practices than he did in the first week. That's all I'm telling you. All right. I'm just, you know. You're a Paxton camp guy anyway. I was. I watched the group think people stand around and tell me how good Trevor Simeon played. How'd that work out? I'm just telling you, I think you are saying Sean Payton is stubborn. No, because he wants to get all the glory and turn these quarterbacks around. I think Sean Payton wants to win, and his best chance to win with this roster is run heavy. I think, by and large, most offensive-minded head coaches want to throw the football. Most defensive-minded coaches want to run the football. They want to win 17-13. Offensive-minded coaches want to win 28-20. And it's just, you could go through the league, and that's just how they, typically, that's how they are. And I think that's how it's going to be here as well. I think... Sean Payton will get so much credit if he fixes Russell Wilson. Of course. If Sean Payton goes out and goes 7-10 and 10 and they rush for 1,800 yards and, and Javante, Samaje P. Ryan, and Jaleel McLaughlin all get 600 yards, nobody's writing a, a, a glowing review about that. All right. Well, let's hear about these story practices. Kevin, do we, we, we've got Sean Payton. All right. I want to hear what the head coach had to say. Uh, the reviews weren't pretty. Here's Sean Payton after joint practices today. Well, a lot of film to cover, obviously. Um, I thought overall, just again, I'm on half the field. Um, we got two real good special team periods done, and then quite a bit of teamwork with a seven on seven. Finished with a two minute drill. Uh, I would say I don't want to guess how many plays, but a lot of plays run in, in a pretty short period of time. I thought both teams handled it really well, and uh, kind of go from there. Any questions? Well. It's not what I'm hoping to see on film today. It's what I'm hoping to see tomorrow, then, the corrections. Uh, I thought on the offensive field where I was, we had too many false starts. I, I thought we we tired pretty quickly. You know, um, they were going a lot of plays relative to maybe what they're used to and, and even more than, than a real game would present. But I, I think it's good from a conditioning standpoint. You know, mentally, there's some mental toughness that that's required to play. Poise, all those things required to not to play, but to play well and to win. And so, um, those challenges, you know, kind of came up a little bit. We'll we'll watch those on tape, and then uh, the key is, you know, making the corrections, and, and then, um, you know, hopefully not having to see the same mistake from the same player again. Um, I've done a lot only because I've coached a long time. <laughs> I probably, my early years or our early years in New Orleans, we had a number with Houston because we were close. There's some cities, logistically, when, you, when you're out west, there's a handful of teams you, you typically get used to playing in the preseason that limit your travel. Houston was that for us in New Orleans because that was an, an easy trip. And then, um, and then a number of years with New England, um, I'd say we probably had five Um both at home and in New England. Uh, and then eventually we came to L.A. quite a bit to get out of the heat. So when we did it with the Chargers, it was always us coming to them. Just They did it last week just to get a break from the humidity. Um, what do we like? Well, you, you get different looks. So you, you get used to your own team, your own defense, your own offense, and you get a whole new set of formations, defensive fronts. Um, obviously, you, you get um, a whole new set of players that do things differently. Um, so, 
you know, in a game, you're going to get things that maybe you haven't covered. And, and you know, today I'm sure we're going to look at plays both sides of the ball that um, that we haven't seen because either our offense doesn't run them or our defense doesn't play it. But I think the that variety is important. And then, uh, and then it also allows you – I mean, these are – huge reps for so many players that are competing for roster spots so um these practice snaps uh, are invaluable you know this this would be like a preseason game really when you look at the snaps it's like that Calvin Oakley he has I, I thought i thought he had a good week last week um had one of his better weeks, so hopefully we can continue that trend. Everybody has their own kind of spin on practice, so with working with Sean and Bay, uh, what have you kind of found that you guys kind of see the same way on practice? This is our first practice together. I've known Sean for a long time. Um, we've got probably five Miami of Ohio. You know, Sean graduated from there. He's got a few assistant coaches. Our strength coach, Dan Dalrymple's from there. Um, so pretty good contingent from from that school um i don't know i I think look there's a there's a respect as to you know a a program that's won sean's won at a high level and um you know i think that it made a lot of sense when you looked at the schedule and you saw that we were playing each other for the third preseason game and then there's some arrangement like hey if we if we get this game do we want to have a joint practice and and it also made sense from an ownership perspective because um, both ownership groups are pretty close, and uh, so it, it worked out really well. I remember because, listen, I he said none of you remember this, and I was thinking I'll be careful. <laughs> um, you know, it was all during the '70s, and you can't you can never forget a name like Gratishaw. And you guys probably don't remember, but 7-Eleven used to give you Slurpees, and they'd be in these 7-Eleven NFL Slurpee cups. And then you'd collect them, you know, you'd have Alan Page and Gratishaw and, and you'd have a stack in your room and then they were so sticky, your mom would just throw them away someday and wouldn't tell you. Um, but yeah, I can, I, can, I can remember those defenses um, very well. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because it, that's a time frame where we can only watch what we were given. You know, we were given whatever ABC or CBS put on. And then the only way to catch up on what happened on the weekend, you had to wait till halftime of Monday Night Football. That's kind of amazing, really. So in order to, to find out about all the other games that were played, you had to watch that, like, eight-minute Monday Night Football halftime segment to, to get the highlights. So clearly it's a lot different now with the, our ability to watch any game we want. We get the highlights like right away. Um, but, yeah, you can't lose track of a name like, you know, Gratishaw and you had Atwater. And I remember those teams. Um, as a young fan, I was an old 49ers fan, which was John Brody and Ted Qualick, Gene Washington. Those I'm dating myself now. Those were um, a different generation of players. But um, it's great to see them and uh, – I made sure the players clapped when I introduced him before I told the players that he's also the sideline equipment <laughs> check guy that's responsible for any fines. So it was good for, for the players to schmooze up to him a little bit today. 
tough, smart. Yeah, tough, smart. You know, he's played a lot of football. It's not always pretty, but there is there is this quality of, you know, he gets the job done. And uh, I said this at the beginning of camp after the draft. I thought we did a good job in in that two hour period of signing free agents. Sometimes offensive linemen are hard to, you know, they're hard to get, and we were able to to sign a, a pretty good class of undrafted offensive linemen that I think uh, has, has helped us and, and will help us not only this year but in the future. I, I'm encouraged. John, you talked about Riley Dixon punching really well and Well, he carried he carried it over well the other night in the game. And so the anomaly, I mean, the, the outsider would be just the, the first game in Arizona. But he, he punted well again today. Um, he's a good athlete, you know, and, and we're glad we have him. I kind of use, I mean, look, there's, there's got to be a vision. The special teams come into play. Um, the right type of player, teammate, all those things matter when you're building a program. Um, and and I, I think, look, every, everyone right this time of the year with, you know, call it a week before the final cutdowns, every, everyone understands what's at stake, you know, the players as well as the coaches and front office people. So um, all these snaps are important. Yeah. Yeah. We have no. I, and look, I, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure he's comfortable. Yeah, I know he is comfortable with with running quarterback sneaks and and. We talked about it offensively when we were going through short yardage. We talked about, you know, how much do we want to dive into that and study it. Um, you don't get a lot of chances to replicate it and practice it. I think it's something that we can build on when the season starts. And, um, and you know, we'll have a short yardage package, um, things that we feel like we can go to when it's third in the yard and, and you're really looking to run it and everyone knows you're going to run it. Uh, I think the key is being efficient. I know Philadelphia was very efficient with, with that. Um, I do think Russ is someone that's strong and athletic and has traits where um, he certainly, I think, could have success. The key would be, you know, do we feel like it fits us right now? And, and uh, I don't know that I could say, I mean, we've discussed it, but I don't know that I could say that, you know, we're going to see a lot of it, um, but certainly we're going to discuss it more. Um, well, look, they're probably a little bit of both. They come from fatigue. They come from concentration. And at some point, they, they got to go away or, you know, it's, it's, you know, periodically I've had really good receivers that might drop a pass early in a game and then you wouldn't see it again. Um, Marcus Colston, once in a blue moon, would have an early drop and then He'd always exit the sideline like wherever I wasn't. <laughs> but then he'd come back and, you know, catch 15 balls or 12 balls. And so there was a few out there. There were a few out there today, uh, a handful of different players. Um, 
you know, it's something that, look, if your job is a receiver, you're paid to catch. And uh, it's pretty simple. Yeah, but it has to happen like kind of organically. It has to happen within the framework of what you're doing. Um, you know, sometimes uh, it could be the following pass pattern that player's open and that's where you're going. So- sometimes it might take a minute. So now getting players started is easier to do when you're calling plays in the script. You know, trying to get players off to a good start. There were certain play- the number of players I've coached that, that there were, it was important for us as a team to get them a handful of touches early to get them active in the game. And, and I'm sure that'll be the case here as we get to know these guys and, and we start putting together opening scripts for games. Yeah, briefly, and I talked with George this morning, I think just it, it gives us some additional depth heading into this preseason game, so I'm glad he's here. Well, I'm anxious to look at the tape. It's good to have him back out there. You know, you feel his presence in the huddle from a leadership perspective. Um, just being field level, it's not like I had a chance to just look at him. Um, typically speaking, if you don't notice, you know, a tackle, sometimes that's pretty good. Um, but I I know that uh, we're better when he's out there and, and, and you felt his presence uh, just in the team drills. Thank you, All right, thank you. All right, that was Broncos head coach Sean Payton, James Merrillat, Will Peterson in for Stokely and Zach. Plenty to react to, including the flags, the offense getting tired, and Sean Payton not happy with the drops. We'll tell you who the main culprit was next. It's Stokely and Zach on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. In case you missed it, we just played the full Sean Payton press conference after joint practices between the Broncos and Rams down at the Centura Health Training Center. James Merrillat, Will Peterson filling in for Stoke and Zach today. James, a lot of interesting takeaways from Sean Payton. I thought the biggest and most important one was early on in the press conference when he was upset about too many penalties, too many false starts on the offense, more offensive line issues, and then saying the offense got tired. That caught my attention as well. Is like, okay, when they had to go do it time and time and time again, the reps caught up to them a little bit. Um, certainly a head coach that wasn't super-duper pleased with how things went today. No, and it, it sounded like a team that was kind of beating themselves a little bit, right? Penalties and putting yourself in first and 15 constantly or whatever the down and distance turns into uh, at that point. It doesn't help. I didn't think he sounded like someone, though, who was irate with how it went. No, I didn't either. I mean, it didn't sound like, oh, my gosh, when we go up and look at that film, I'm going to figure out who I'm going to cut because that's how bad it was. It didn't sound like that. Um, you know, it sounded like a guy that wasn't happy that they're still having some of the same issues. When he talked about the drops, I thought it was interesting, though, that he mentioned that, hey, I had some guys in New Orleans who would have one early in a game. I think Colson is who he referenced, Marcus Colson. And then he, you know. Wouldn't come off the field near me because he knew he'd get an earful and then end up having a double-digit reception kind of game. So not that it was a free pass and he was excusing it, but it was sort of a, hey, great players have, you know, miscues every now and then too. So I didn't think he seemed all that concerned about anything that went down today. Well, it's funny because you and I spent, uh, you know, the better part of the 12 o'clock hour debating uh, if this is going to be a rush offense, a pass offense. And I said to you, 
Well, the only thing we heard about today as a positive player for the first team offense was Russell Wilson to Kendall Hinton. Well, per uh, our own DMAC, he says on the drops, this line of questioning was clearly inspired by Jerry Judy today. Okay. So that's DMAC's reporting down at uh, the Centura Health Training Center in the last half hour when Sean Payton said they have to catch the ball, because he did. That was one of his quotes. They have to catch the ball. They're receivers. They get paid to catch the ball. Yep. That was part of the reason the offense struggled today is what we're learning in these in these last few minutes. Jerry Judy had another case of the dropsies today. Well, if you're dropping passes as a receiver, if you're committing false starts as a as an offensive lineman, those typically come from one of two things. A lack of concentration or fatigue. Right? Like Jerry Judy knows how to catch the football. The offensive linemen know how to wait for the snap count. Like it's it's you're either not paying attention and not focused and not ready to go. Yep. That's a problem. Or you're tired. That's a problem. Both are correctable. There's different ways to correct them. you got to get someone's attention and make sure they're ready to go, and there's, there's any number of ways to do that. And then you say, we're, we're going to get in better shape, and if, if we're not able to go out there and do this, and he did say, hey, we're running at a faster pace than you do in a game. But you're going to have moments in a game where you got to go up tempo. Two-minute drill, baby. And it doesn't... Can't have drops in the two-minute drill. It doesn't Don't sound like you. a group that's ready to do that. So, you know, that's not good. Better to find it out on August 23rd than September 10th. When you hear Jerry Judy's having drop problems, and we obviously saw the drop in Arizona that he had the play before he scored the touchdown down there against the Cardinals. We saw it multiple times in camp where he had some tough days with the drops. Do you feel like... All right, Jerry, you're in your fourth year in the league now. You're a little too old to be having these drop problems. It's like when your nine-year-old kid is doing something that a six-year-old does, and it's like, come on, bud. We're a little too old to still be having these problems. I think with Judy, the drops, if they are an issue again this year, and I know they were much worse in his rookie year than they were last year, but if they are an issue again this year, Broncos country is going to want to kind of pull its hair out, and that fifth-year option is maybe going to be questioned a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he he robbed Drew Locke of a play that might have changed – the quarterback's career here in Denver, mm. right? It should have been an 80-yard touchdown run for a walk-off win at the Chargers, uh, 80-yard touchdown completion, and instead it was a drop, and then Drew wound up getting him down there, and they got close to field goal range and, and missed it and lost that game. But Jerry Judy has had some bad moments with drops, and yes, that needs to be a thing of the past. And if you look at the people who were drafted in that same class, the greatest wide receiver class in the history of the draft, and he was the first one taken – they don't have those issues, right? Justin Jefferson, who talks about his drops? No one. C.D. Lamb, who talks about his drops? Can't say that's been on my radar. So it, it, it's a problem, and there are reasons why Jerry Judy hasn't had the success of those guys. Most of them aren't his fault. Quarterbacks, Pat Shermer, Justin Outen, Nathaniel Hackett, like the list goes on and on and on. But dropping the football certainly has been an issue, and that's on Jerry Judy. Yeah. It, it just is. And it's, you know, it's tur- it, it, it also turns into something. And this is another thing you heard on Hard Knocks last night. And Randall Cobb was telling the young Packers re- or Jets receivers from his Packers days, hey, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust you, he's not going to throw you the football. He hates interceptions. You could also add to that he hates drops. And Jerry Judy has to gain the confidence and make sure he has the confidence of Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's like any other veteran quarterback, any other quarterback who's been great during his career. We can debate if he's great now or if he can be great again. But he has been great in his career. He has. And he's not going to throw you the football if you're not going to be in the right place and he's not confident you're going to catch it when he hits you in the hands. Peyton Manning clearly had his favorites. 
and he clearly had guys that were not his favorites. And the favorites were the Bubba Caldwells of the world, and the not the favorites were the Cody Latimers of the world. Yep. And we saw how that played out in his uh, last couple of years here in Denver. A couple other takeaways from that uh, Peyton Presser. I mean, he said the reps for the players competing for the roster spots are invaluable. So he did sort of go what we debated earlier in the show and saying these joint practices may be even more uh, beneficial than the games. It sounds like a lot of evaluation went on today by the Broncos coaches in terms of who's going to make this 53 and not. We may see some cuts next week that we go, hmm, that's a bit of a surprise. Or a guy who makes the team goes, well, he didn't do much in the preseason well, maybe they did stuff against the Rams today and then again tomorrow because it sounds like Sean Payton is taking a lot of stock in these two practices. Well, and it's another reason why I think it's tricky to try and declare who was the winner of a practice because you're not quite sure what they were trying to accomplish. Now, obviously, you want to go out and have every player on the roster play well, and you want to go out and dominate every drill. But if you're going out there and it's like, hey, we really want to execute stuff that we know we're going to run in the game with the 11 guys we're going to have on the field in these situations. That's different than, hey, we're trying to evaluate these three or four guys who are, you know, kind of similar and, and on the bubble here and getting an answer as to who is in and who's out is more important to us than going out there and making sure we can execute with the 11 guys we know we can execute with. That's a generalization, but that does kind of factor into this of like, well, who had the better practice? Well, yep. again, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and what you're, who you're trying to accomplish it with. I'm not trying to dismiss it. If, if you if everybody down there said the Rams were significantly better today, okay, that's a that's a red flag. But I'm, I'm kind of hearing, and based on what you read on social media, we'll talk to Cecil Lamy and DMAC, two guys who were down there. I'm kind of hearing it was a lean toward the Rams. And if it's a lean, it's like, well, Again, we don't know what the script was. We don't know what the, the goals were today. I'm not going to get too alarmed by that. A couple of house cleaning notes on Albert O. He has made progress. Not necessarily a big endorsement from Sean Payton there. That wasn't some long, rambling answer. And then he also mentioned that the ownership groups are close. Remember, the ownership group of the Rams owns the Nuggets and the Avalanche, and there's all cousins' connections there, Walton, Cronkies. So yeah. this won't be the last time the Broncos and Rams do joint practices. I can promise you that. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. The other funny thing I thought from Sean Payton, um, listen, I loved all the things he had to say about Randy Gratishar. Mm. You got to get his name right. It was three times. And he, he clearly knew who he was talking about, and he had seen him play, and you know he had the Slurpee Cups. And, like, he had the anecdotes. He wasn't Vic Fangio not knowing whose Av sweater he was wearing. Gabe Landis-Cox. Right. But still, there's an R at the end of it. It's not Gratishaw. Yeah, three three Gratishaws in there, not Gratishars. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Randy Gratishar, he has since taken the podium. Would love to get to a little bit of that sound before the show ends. But coming up next, Jonathan Taylor is available and the Broncos have the fourth best odds to land the Colts' disgruntled star.